Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports. We're just going to get right into it today with one of the best assistant coaches on the West Coast, Any day now, he's going to be a head coach, and I would like to say I told you so when his program has success. Might be the best shooting coach, not shooting teaching it, but shooting as himself the skill as a coach from UCSB, John Rilly. John, appreciate uh, you joining again today. How is life in beautiful Santa Barbara? Life is good, but after that introduction, nothing but downward spiral with that introduction. So uh, I appreciate the kind words, and hopefully I can live up to your expectations. Well, anytime you shoot the ball, if any Gonzaga fans who listen to this podcast uh, can probably attest to, it was going in. What are the main teaching points that you have with your guys when you work with them on skill development? Feet and follow through. Uh, my own personal philosophy on that is if you've got a good, strong base and you've got a good follow-through, uh, success usually follows. Uh, and if you look at all the great shooters, uh, I truly believe they're the two things that everyone has in common. Uh, everything else, it can be a little bit of uh, room margin for error, but feet and follow-through. I kind of touched on it or alluded to it that you had a great career at Gonzaga. Then you played professionally uh, for a number of years overseas, but also in your home country of, of Australia. Many guys get into coaching because it's the uh, the natural progression of staying close to the game, and some don't work at it. You really work at it to become a great coach. Has it been or was it an easy transition, and how long did it take for you to look at the game as a coach as opposed to still as a player? Yeah, that that's a fantastic question or questions in that um I, I i love being around the game uh i knew i was going to stay in it somehow you just naturally think probably coaching um but then when the opportunity came to go join coach rice at boise state um that really took the belief in into reality uh and so you got to hone your skill and the part that you really touched on that you it Going from a player to a coach and the way you look at the game, uh, it, it does take time. It, it, there is a transition period there. And I would say for me to transition and be confident about everything that involves coaching, that's on court, that's scouting, the recruiting, uh, you know, probably took me, oh, man, the good part of a decade um, that, that where I felt like if you were to take over your own program, I'm prepared in all those facets and I feel confident about it. Uh, You sit around with coaches and they say, well, I'm just going to jump into it and I'll live with the mistakes. 
I think if you want to hit the ground running and be successful, you got to feel like you're confidently going about it and you have your own philosophy about everything that goes into it, like the boosters. How are you going to handle boosters? What's your style of play, both offensively and defensively? And what's your recruiting philosophy going to be? Um, and if you're just kind of winging that as you're figuring it out, that's just not me. I, I want to be prepared and I want to make the most of uh, the opportunity if it ever arises. Well, I'm sure it will arise because I've seen a number of uh, lists that have been put together by well-respected uh, kind of analysts in college basketball. And your name pops up on a lot of them these days. At what point do you feel, and I'm not trying to say you're not happy at US, UCSB. I know we've had conversations and you love it there, but everyone I would imagine has aspirations to run their own program. What are still the areas that you need to most improve at to truly be ready to be a head coach? Uh, someone give you that opportunity. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, you may be a, a great head coach in waiting or a, a great candidate, but someone has to take the leap of faith and you have to uh, give them belief in taking that leap of faith. Uh, it's just like the same playing. You're your best player when you're around coaches that believe in you because there's just that confidence. So uh, I guess I just have to find someone that truly believes in my vision and their vision of where, where a successful program can go. You were one of the first Australian players that really kind of made their mark over here in the U.S. Another guy that I remember um, would be Andrew Gaze. I believe it was Seton Hall. Luke Longley uh, played in the NBA for the Bulls. There's been a few other guys. But Australian basketball, from what I've seen, has really grown over the last 10 to 15 years. Um, how much pride do you have of being a part of that early group to really kind of start coming to the States and have success? Yeah, look, pride or, you know, it, it doesn't matter. History, it needs someone that's groundbreaking. Uh, and look, I certainly wasn't the first. I want to say I was maybe the fifth Australian guy to play Division One. The guy that was actually the first was Eddie Pelabinskis, who went to LSU uh, back in the day. And then the likes of Gaze and Longley. And then Tony Ronaldson was another guy that had a successful career. Uh, but he lasted one year at Arizona State. Um, so someone has to pave the way. Uh, but then sport, the sport in general in Australia, we're now getting to the second and third generation of player. Uh, so I think that's where you see the game evolving and the talent level uh, at an all-time high. You know, Dante Exum, you know, he he's a generational player for Australia because his dad was a, a an American player, went over to Australia to play and lived in Australia. So Dante grew up in Australia. Ben Simmons, same, same deal. And there's a, there's a number of kids, uh, Jonah Bolden, who was at UCLA, and then the Sixers for a cup of coffee. So we're getting some turnover in, you know, second and third generation players. Josh Giddy, number six pick for OKC. Uh, his father was a longtime pro back at home. So it, it's just getting into that phase of it. And uh, then hopefully the Olympic success we just had in Tokyo will carry on and grow the sport even more. Well, I see a lot of those names that you mentioned in the Australian Pro League. I believe it's called the NBL has really grown as well in recent years. You have higher level guys coming out of college going there. Uh, but you also have had some high school guys that have foregone college to go play professionally. Um, how has that league really helped the young players in Australia go and grow and give them opportunities to see the game at a, at a high level? 
Yeah, look, what what it's the way the NBL's tackled this in the last four or five years is they've created this next star program, which is say like someone like Lamelo Ball had the opportunity to go and play RJ Hampton. Uh, Terrence Ferguson was actually the first one. Um, so what it has done, it's allowed younger American players to go and play professionally. So then the youth at home can actually see the level of player that you need to be. Um, so just being around those guys, it just gives a better idea of what the expectation is. On the flip side, it allows those guys to be in a professional environment and understanding what a pro is. Because when you're 17 and 18 years old, unless you're an exception to the rule, and there's not many exceptions, you don't know what it's like to be in a pro locker room when you're dealing with 32 to 36 year olds on some occasions. So on both sides, it works well. Things that help Australia, like lifestyle, the transition in life is is pretty easy. If you're going to Australia and you're complaining about life, your pro career is not going to last in too many places. Um, and now it's an attractive destination. And like I'm pretty confident that I can say 30 of the NBA teams make their way down there these days to watch talent. So it's an easy sell uh, for a team to say, hey, like we're going to have NBA teams coming through our gym. You played for and represented your country in many international competitions. I believe you played in the Olympics, but this past offseason, you had a chance to coach uh, in the Olympics. What was that experience like this past offseason? Oh, look, as far as a coaching experience, uh, you know, it's going to be tough to beat. We, we got a bronze medal uh, in Tokyo, and it's the first time the men's national team has ever medaled at a major international competition. So we've been on the cusp. Uh, for 33 years, we've uh, had a lot of fourth place finishes. Uh, but with this group, with Patty Mills, Joe Ingalls, Matt Delavadova, and uh, Aaron Baines, like those guys have been playing together for 15, 16 years. Um, so when I hit training camp with those guys, you could just tell the group had a special feel about themselves. Uh, and then you add in the likes of Matisse Thibel and Dante Exum, Josh Green, some young athletic players. Uh, we had a great mix of veterans and youth and, uh, you know, the coaching staff was top notch coaching staff. Brian Gorgian, the head coach, has been the national team coach. Uh, that was his I'm going to be wrong here. It was certainly his third, maybe his fourth Olympics. That's who I played with at the Olympics. Uh, and then the assistants, myself. Uh, then there was Adam Caporn, who's in Brooklyn Nets G League head coach and Matt Nielsen, who's an assistant on the Spurs. Uh, and he he was a multi-time Olympian himself. So uh, we had great synergy with the players. The players had good synergy with the staff. And as I always say, you can never fool the locker room. So there was a ge genuine passion between the coaches and the players and admiration for each other. UCSB is, uh, has made tremendous strides over the last few years. Uh, Coach Pasternak is doing a really good job since coming over from Arizona. You guys – we're in the NCAA tournament a season ago. You almost knocked off Creighton. What's the outlook like this year, knowing that you, you've got to replace kind of a, an unknown gem that you guys had last year in Ja'Cory McLaughlin, who's now with the Mavericks on a two-way deal? Yeah, look, uh, we we were a layup shy of knocking off Creighton, but it's something, and, and it, all coaches say, it's we've been building to that point. Uh, we got to that point. Now, how do we get? 
to that next phase, winning a game at the tournament and, you know, getting yourself in the top 25 consistently. Um, so having someone like Jacory come in and be successful uh, and, and that being shown by the Dallas Mavericks helps our cause. Now, uh, I can't go without saying Gabe Vincent for the Miami Heat. He was with us here our first year. So uh, we're trending in the right direction as a program. Uh, I feel like we're doing the right thing by our players in being preparing them to play and be successful at the next level, whatever that next level may be. Um, and our squad this year, uh, we have a lot of potential and growth. But when you lose like the player of the year from your conference, there's going to be a hold your breath moment until you see how all of these pieces come together. We were just talking about Ja'Cory McLaughlin and he transferred from Oregon State in the Pac-12 to UCSB. When you, when you have a player that transfers and they transfer from a, a higher level program, um, how does the player development or maybe selling of the player development differ in how you would talk about player development to a, a recruit in high school? Yeah, like, look, for our staff and when you talk about player development, whether you're a transfer or whether you're a high school kid, uh, we're not changing our approach to that. Uh, like Coach Pasenek has a phenomenal reputation as a recruiter and uh, relentless in all aspects of the game. Uh, and then our assistants, our pool of assistants, we spend a lot of time on player development. Myself, uh, Coach Lewis, uh, who was a 19-year professional player and has NBA coaching and player development experience. And then Ben Tucker, who was with Coach Pasenak at Arizona. Uh, we, we, that's just the focus that we do. Uh, the thing that I think we do at a very good level is just give players attention uh, and and when I say that, it's just not always in the gym. It's away from the court. It's knowing more about them than just basketball, like what's going on in their life. Why, why was somewhere else not a good fit? How can we make it a good fit? So uh, we spend a lot of time, you know, trying to aid the players in becoming the best person and player they can become. You love the game of basketball maybe as much as anybody that I've ever met. I, I've heard stories from Leon Rice when you were at Boise State. You would sneak off at lunchtime and go play pickup ball in the intramural gym. When you get a chance now on a free evening, do you watch NBA? Do you maybe pull up EuroLeague games or do you watch college um, if you don't have a current scout that you're working on? Yeah, all of the above. All of the above. <laughs> you got three um, TVs set up watching them no, all. No, I, you know, sometimes you have to pick and choose, but uh, diff different days, it'll be different. I guess I, I love watching NBA, especially the playoffs, but during the regular season, I will obviously gravitate to someone that I have some type of relationship with. Uh, and then if there's nothing there that tickles my fancy, then I'll move down the ranks to college and so forth. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, whether you love or hate NBA, they're the best players. They just deal with basketball 24-7. So you can get some great ideas and concepts. And then uh, European Euro League, uh, you know, the rules and regulations are more college. So uh, style of play and little, little wrinkles for offense or defense, it's a great way to transition to college. So um, I, I enjoy it all. Well, John, I appreciate uh, the time. I do have one last question for you. 
And you can name yourself if you want, but the best shooter that you have ever seen, because I've had a number of people say that you are the best shooter that they've ever seen. Give me your best shooter of all time you've seen. Yeah, my, myself. I'm, I'm taking myself no matter who I'm on the floor with. I'll live and die with that result. But look, guy, guys that I like to watch shoot the basketball, Dale Ellis, you know, unbelievable player at Seattle, uh, Glenn Rice, Reggie Miller, and, uh, you know, like these days, Steph, Clay, um, you, you know, just the, the, people throw the word elite around, but there's very few elite shooters where you just feel like the ball's going in every time they touch it. Well, it goes back to the two things you talked about at the start, footwork and follow through. All those guys that you mentioned have those two attributes with their shots. So uh, I, I couldn't agree more with those guys that you named. So, yeah. uh, John, I appreciate the time. Best of luck at US, UCSB, and hopefully we'll catch up this year during my college basketball analyst travel. So take care and thanks again. Thank you for your time. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.